0: Welcome to the podcast for the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva. UUSG is an inclusive community, one that draws wisdom from all the world's religions, balanced with the insights of modern science. We seek to build a diverse, beloved community within our virtual walls, and hope to inspire and accompany one another as we act for peace and justice in our larger world the Reverend Scott Hall is a minister in the UU tradition. Coming from a career in information technology, Reverend Scott attended seminary to pursue lifelong interests in what he calls life's big questions. He joined UUSG as the settled minister in 2020.
1: Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The holiday, as you know, celebrates the birth of the great civil rights leader. Other than Columbus Day, this holiday is the only federal holiday in the United States that honors a private citizen, one who has never held any public office. In 1983, four years after the first attempt, a failed attempt, to make MLK Day a holiday, a petition with six million signatures landed on Congress asking for federal recognition of Dr. King and his contributions to our nation. The petition was met with two arguments. One, that it was too expensive to give federal employees more time off. And two, it was suggested that Dr. King should not be so honored because he was, quote, not historically important enough. The federal holiday was eventually signed into law that year in 1983, but it was many more years until all of the individual states followed suit. One article read, uh, yeah, one article I read said, quote, South Carolina was the only, no, it was the last, it was the last state to make the holiday a paid day off for employees. And that was in May of 2000. Before that, state employees in South Carolina were given a choice of taking MLK Day off as a paid holiday or choosing one of three Confederate holidays the state still celebrated. That was 21 years ago. I am fascinated and repulsed by this timeline. I can't really speak to my own grade school lessons. Those are lost. But I know for a fact that my kids learned about the Montgomery bus boycotts of the 1950s, the Atlanta sit-ins, the Birmingham campaign, the March on Washington, the I Have a Dream speech, Buddy Sunday, and the Selma to Montgomery march. And they learned about the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. In fact, it's kind of hard to imagine this history today as, quote, not historically important enough. Hard to imagine the modern American story without telling the story of Dr. King. Hard to tell the full story of America without the stories that Dr. King struggled his whole life to tell, stories of the poor, the marginalized the disaffected, the disenfranchised, and what we as a people did and did not do when confronted with those stories. Dr. King was many things. Preacher, provocator, prophet, orator, organizer, troublemaker, good troublemaker. But one thing was certain. Our stories today would be very different without his stories then. This is, in part, what it means to be a giant. In a letter from 1675, Sir Isaac Newton wrote the following line, quote, If I have seen further, it is by standing upon the shoulders of giants. saying kind of makes an intuitive sort of sense, doesn't it? We see farther when we are lifted up. We build higher when others have laid the foundation. The work of science, of society, of the beloved community, all of these things do not spring forth fully formed like Athena from the forehead of Zeus. Instead, progress is the result of many hands, many minds, many hearts, a chain that links us back to our beginnings, one that leads, hopefully, out of the dark. We are all standing on the shoulders of giants. Today, this weekend, we honor one of them. There will be speeches about nonviolence, about civil rights, about a day of service, about our collective dreams for a better nation. But with all of King's projects, all of his speeches, all of the change we have seen since, it is his last project that I kind of want to lift up today as we try to honor this man and his legacy, the Poor People's Campaign and mainly the two speeches that started it. This was the project King was working on when he was assassinated in 1968. This project uh, represents his mature thinking, his attempts to get underneath and to finally address the fundamental and structural flaws that he saw crippling the American experiment. We'll get to all that in a moment. So right now, uh, let's turn to the interactive portion of today's message. I'm going to remove the Zoom Spotlight for a moment. And what I want you to do is go to your screens, if you can, and hit the button in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, the one that says View, and pull that down. And click on the word gallery you'll know it's right because the screen will fill up with a ton of little boxes like we're all contestants in a game show now looking at all of those faces uh, your community and in the spirit of our friend the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III of Trinity Church here in Chicago I want you to turn to your neighbor Go ahead, turn. Like you make that physical turn. Just turn. There we go. Now say to your neighbor, neighbor. 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 Oh neighbor. Oh neighbor. Neighbor. Before the healing. Before, before, the, the, healing. Healing. before the healing. There must be an accounting. there must must be an an accounting. well done well done amen 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 all right in recent weeks we've seen a lot of things haven't we we've seen a bare-chested man wearing buffalo horns A man with a Confederate flag, a man with a sweatshirt that read Camp Auschwitz, another with a shirt that read six million were not enough. We saw women and men, a cheering mob, a sea of red baseball caps. We saw all of these not very fine people attacking police, breaking windows, stealing, looting, vandalizing and defecating on one of the most well-known symbols of democracy in the Western world. These people carried Christian slogans, pagan slogans, racist slogans, libertarian slogans. They blasted Christian rock songs and chanted, Hang Mike Pence. And they were there, inside the Capitol Rotunda, at the specific and personal request of the now twice impeached and soon-to-be ex-president of the United States. In short, fascists stormed the Capitol— I think this is an important word for us to learn. Fascist, fascism. The belief that there are those that deserve your scorn, your malice, and your violence. Fascism. With those, the two main expressions, well, it's probably worth remembering, the two main expressions of fascism are one, a dictator, and two, The use of force to suppress opposition. Fascism, totalitarianism, authoritarianism, Nazis. There were actual Nazis in the capital. Internet nerds like myself used to cite something called Godwin's Law, which says that, quote, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. It was a joke. It was a joke. But there's absolutely nothing funny about mobs in the 21st century wearing Nazi slogans roaming government buildings for officials to, quote, capture and assassinate. For some time now, I've made it my practice to regularly engage with my political opposites, to actually try and talk to them about things that matter to them and things that matter to us both. I will admit, this is never as easy as I make it sound. I am impatient with idiocy, irate at illogic, and I find it terribly difficult to restrain my brilliant wit. Nevertheless, I persist. But over the last years especially, I found these engagements filled with accusations of fake news and rejection of so-called biased media. If only you weren't so stupid, I was told, but you can't even understand the truth when it bites you in the face. The truth is out there. The truth will set you free. The truth is coming for you and for all of your fellow liars and deniers. I've been called snowflake, libtard, and a host of other much more colorful invectives, but it wasn't until I was told that I was a Nazi that things came off the rails. Have you ever had this experience? of someone accusing you of the very things they they themselves are guilty of? As far as I know, there's really no word, no one word, in the English language for this. The best i found is in a Wikipedia article for the phrase, the pot calling the kettle black. That article says, quote, a modern interpretation, far uh, removed from the original interpretation, Uh, argues that while the pot is sooty from being placed on the fire, the kettle is still shiny from being placed on coals only. Hence, when the pot accuses the kettle of being black, it's the pot's own sooty reflection that it sees. The pot accuses the kettle of a fault that only the pot has, rather than one they share. That's Okay, so that's as close as I've gotten. But at some point in the last few decades, this has become a common tactic. Before you can be labeled with a crime, a sin, or some character flaw, hang that crime, sin, or character flaw on a possible accuser first. Then, when your actions that actually deserve that label come to light, any condemnation sound like, I know you are, but what am I? Labeling the accuser with your own crime diffuses your attackers, it shields you, and now you can just carry on with your crimes right out in the open. Sound familiar? This is obviously hypocrisy. You see this hypocrisy in the American debate about socialism. Socialism for the people is a terrible crime, they say, but anti-competitive subsidies for large corporations and unnecessary tax cuts for the wealthy, those are perfectly fine. You see this and talk about draining the swamp while hiring and promoting known grifters. You see this in talk about being for the troops, but not for VA benefits, for being for the children, but then putting kids in cages. You see this when someone who championed human rights after centuries of oppression is called, quote, not historically important enough to warrant a memorial while you were defending memorials to those that lost the war to continue that very oppression. Look, hypocrisy is endless, but the particular charge, the thing that's different today from the political combat of the past, is the loss of truth. The truth has been taking a beating for a long time. In the past, when rhetoric met fact, the fact would tend to win. Nixon faced facts and resigned. Trump faced facts and said they weren't facts. It worked. It shouldn't have, but it worked. Collaborators repeated it, enablers let it go, supporters ate it up, and it is a very short step from fake news to conspiracy theories. It's hard to argue with someone you don't agree with. It's harder to argue with someone you don't share a language with. It's impossible to argue with someone who doesn't value logic, reason, evidence, or fact. And when no one agrees on what is fact and what counts as truth, it is easy to get turned around. Who was right? Who was wrong? When truth is up in the air, how can you know when you're on the right side of history? Honestly, this is a great question, and it's a real problem, because that's hard. However, today, especially after January 6th, I found this question to have a remarkably straightforward answer. I adapted this from Facebook, so I hope you'll forgive the cribbing, but it goes like this. I have found that in times of political confusion, particularly when emotions are running high and creating tunnel vision, the presence of Nazis can be extremely helpful. If I am attending a local demonstration or an event and I see Nazis, neo-nazis casual nazis master race nazis or the latest whatever uber mythology nazis i just need to figure out what side they are on and if they are on my side of the demonstration then i am on the wrong side i look to my right is there a guy wearing a 6mwe that's six million, were not enough right that is on his t-shirt If so, I am on the wrong side. I look to my left. Is that guy wearing a Camp Auschwitz t-shirt? Wrong side. Is someone referring to things that Hitler got right? Wrong side. I can always, always, always rely on the presence of Nazis as a guiding light through a fog of disinformation. Just look for the Nazis and then be on the opposite side. After that very helpful public service announcement, I want to pivot just a bit and turn back to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., specifically to a speech that he gave in 1967 with the title, Beyond Vietnam. In that speech, he said, quote, I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without first having spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. For the sake of those boys, for the sake of this government, for the sake of hundreds of thousands trembling under our violence, I cannot be silent. This speech was remarkable for several reasons, not the least of which was that it came on the heels of so much success. In the mid-1960s, King and other civil rights activists had achieved truly remarkable victories with the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. These two landmark pieces of legislation were unexpected and historic wins. And the coalition of largely white politicians that helped them to pass these laws were, at that point, Enjoying the afterglow of a lot of self congratulatory backslapping when King broadsided them about their support for the war. He accused them of getting sidetracked, of lifting the image of the nation over the people of the nation. He accused them of wasting time, of wasting money, of broken promises. And they responded with outrage. King should have been content, should have helped the establishment that had helped him. He should have been grateful. He should have shut up. They called him a communist sympathizer, a demagogic slanderer, and a self-aggrandizing narcissist. He was relentlessly attacked in the press. His political allies stopped taking his calls. His organizing allies cried foul. His mostly white... Clergy colleagues turned from him, and donations to his organization evaporated. In response, Dr. King did exactly what we would have expected. He continued the critique. Later that year, in a a speech titled, The Three Evils of Society, King again roundly condemned what he called the triple prong sickness of racism, capitalism, and militarism. Like the Beyond Vietnam speech, the Three Evils speech explicitly linked policies of American colonialism, America's unwillingness to address systemic poverty, and the temptation Americans have toward nationalism, And imperialism. The anti-war king, the anti-nationalist king, the king we hear in the Beyond Vietnam speech, in the Three Evils speech, is not the king that is commonly taught in schools today. His indictment, as difficult to hear as it was then, is still hard to hear today, perhaps because these indictments still ring true. Here's where we are. There was no steal. That is fact. The win is in. That is fact. The president played with fire and got impeached again. That is fact, too. So we're all done now, right? Time to move on. We won. There are a quite a few. There are quite a few legislative leaders and media pundits saying that now is the time to come together. Time to let the new administration come in and to move forward on their agenda. It's time for the country to heal. Anyone who says otherwise is just as guilty as the insurrectionists. There are no fascists. There are no red states. There are No blue states, only the United States. United we stand, divided we fall, e pluribus unum. Wave the flag, cue the music, may God bless America, amen. No. Just no. This is gaslighting. Because what happened to us is more than a polite disagreement among friends. What happened on January 6th was not a mistake, it was not spontaneous, and it was not patriotism. And telling us that we should be grateful, that we should be graceful, that we should shut up and take the win and just move on, that's poison. January 6th was insurrection, incited by the President, and not just the President. Because he had help with this. He had collaborators on the ground, planning, organizing, and leading. He had enablers in the White House, in the Senate, and in the House of Representatives, and in state legislatures all across the nation. More, he had collaborators and enablers and appeasers and a host of companies and media outlets. We had Nazis, actual Nazis, waving the flags of defeated enemies in our capitol building. Actual Nazis. We cannot heal when the harm is ongoing. We cannot move forward when the boot is still on our neck. This is in part what the Me Too movement, what the Black Lives Matter movement was all about. We cannot heal until the harm stops. And we have to tell our stories and keep telling them and keep telling them and keep telling them and keep telling them until the harm stops. Because if we do stop now, If we forget, if we forgive, if we walk away, if we just give up, like the North did during Reconstruction, Reconstruction ends. Healing ends. And the lie at the heart of the Civil War, that just lives on. Yes, change is coming. But if we move on without having chased monsters into shadows and confronted them there, they will just wait. If the Lord of the Rings taught us nothing, it's that we will never be free from Sauron until we confront the thing that keeps him alive. We will never be safe until we have destroyed the one ring. Even even after the battle, and Sauron is banished from the field, we still have to hunt the ring down, carry it to Mordor, cast it into the fires of Mount Doom, and unmake it. And if we do not... If we fail, if we cannot find the strength, the resolve, the moral fortitude necessary to complete this task, if we will let them turn us aside now with their desperate lies of false unity, we know, we know that evil will only return stronger than before. In 1924, 2,000 Nazis marched for change for honor, and for revenge on enemies foreign and domestic. This was the infamous Beer Hall Putsch, the apparently largely forgotten coup led by Adolf Hitler. That coup failed. Hitler stood trial. He was found guilty of treason. He was jailed. And after only nine months, he was released for good behavior. He learned his lesson, they said. And he had. This is where we are. And no, Trump is not Hitler or Sauron. But we know that ignoring the problem won't make it go away. As Britain learned, appeasement does not work. We can't reason with it. We can't bribe it. Fascism is the belief that there are those that deserve scorn, malice, and violence. So no matter what smile they wear, no matter what words they offer, no matter how reasonable they suddenly sound, we must remember that we cannot be tolerant of the intolerant. There can be no negotiating with those who believe you do not have the right to exist. There can be no unity, no reconciliation, no coming together with Nazis. There were eight senators and 147 representatives that chose Trump over truth. They willfully chose lies and in so doing threatened the republic and the institutions that they themselves swore to uphold. Supporting them is the legion of pundits that created, fed, and distributed these lies and the conspiracies that buried our national discourse under a sea of trash. Friends, we must hold them all to account, isolate, investigate, prosecute, keep their feet to the fire. Yes, we have other things to address. Yes, we have a mountain of issues to handle. But we can pull on our grown-up pants. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. With the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as our example, we must keep the attention on the things that matter or else we will find ourselves taken to a place where nothing matters. Before the healing, there must be an accounting Now, I hope there will not be violence. I hope that law enforcement will instead remember their oaths, remember true patriotism, and seize this moment to sweep our streets clean, both virtual and actual. And there's quite a bit of evidence that this is exactly what's happening. But remember, we do not negotiate with terrorists. There can be no unity with fascists. Today, After the mess of the election, after the endless parade of lies, after 60 lawsuits, after all the denials and all this insurrection, we know what side we should be on. Where are the Nazis? We are on the other side. Today, we can orient ourselves towards the path of the right and the true. We know the path forward is going to be hard, but we do know that path. In fact, in fact, that truth has been something we have been able to see for a long time. Why? Because we stand on the shoulders of giants. For now, I'll give the final word to Dr. King, who wrote, quote, For those who are telling me to keep my mouth shut, I can't do that. I'm against segregation at lunch counters, and I'm not going to segregate my moral concerns. And we must know on some positions, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there are times when you must take a stand that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but you must do it because it is right. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. You are always welcome to join the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Come as you are. We look forward to meeting you. Visit us at UUSG.org for more information about us, our worship services, and where you can find us on social media. Hope to see you soon!